Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan, except still without Sam. Sam's not here. I saw him the other day though and he's doing very well uh, and I believe will be returning to us shortly. However, in his ongoing absence, we continue with our little mini-series of the Arrow Insiders uh, and I'm joined today by James Blackford. Um, James, hello. Hello there. Nice to be here. Very nice to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, Do you want to tell our listeners what your job title is and what that means? Sure, yeah. I guess the main one is Senior Producer, which is uh, producing our lovely Blu-ray editions of all sorts of films on the Arrow Video and Arrow Academy brands. And then also the other job title I have is Head of Vinyl Production or something like that. Head of Vinyl Label Production Manager or something, which is we also do a record label. And we've done about 12 editions of uh, mainly Italian horror soundtracks. The good stuff. Yes. And I, <laughs> I, um, I, I'm tasked with putting all of them together and uh, commissioning artwork and overseeing the mastering and commissioning people to, to write uh, liner notes. And that's a real fun thing I do because I love horror movie soundtracks. Well, that's awesome. And so when you say you're a senior producer for the, for the, uh, for the project, presumably like with film... That's a sort of an overseer position, obviously decision making and creative as well. Can you talk us through the process, like when you come in, when you when you get involved with the project when it arrives at Arrow? With regards to the films, yeah, or, with the films, uh, with the films. Um, well, basically, we have a, a schedule we work to, which is our head of acquisitions, Kev Lambert, works. They they license a whole series of films of uh, across all genres, and then each producer kind of has their specific tastes that they they really like. Um, and we sort of divvy up the films accordingly, basically. Like, I'm an absolutely huge Italian horror, giallo, spaghetti western nut. So I love getting my teeth stuck into them. But then also I, I, I work on um, bigger, out some of our big special editions. Uh, one of the, the big ones we did was Crimson Peak, which we did a really nice uh, limited edition box set of that with artwork by Guy Davis, who actually... Uh, did a lot of the intricate designs for the film and loads of lovely special features on there. Uh, another quite nice one I did recently was Waterworld, um, which we presented this Ulysses cut of that film yeah. on there, which is like some uber long extended version that we uh, had been uh, sort of the, the stuff of myth and legend for a long time, but we were able to go back to the original negative and, and, cut this original longer version wow so you you created that you recut it from scratch based on what like an edit decision list or uh there was some sort of bootleg going around which was actually i think originally somehow came from like a a spanish um tv studio or something they wound up with this sd version of like a, a a much longer cut and we kind of used that as the basis to make this go back to the original negative and, and, and build it properly, you know. Wow. Uh, and it's, yeah, so there are actually three cuts on that release. Yeah. The Ulysses cut, a, a TV, longer TV cut that had aired on various US cable networks, and then the original theatrical cut. And then also on that release, we had like a really beautifully made 90-minute or 100-minute uh, making-of documentary, which just went so in-depth to the making of that film. It was absolutely... Uh, just loads of b-roll footage in there and interviews with just about everyone it was really really good and and the book book accompanying book with that release i was really proud of like we even interviewed the guy and got some of his uh stills from the guy who made the the pc computer game (laughs) tie-in with Waterworld. you know and they filmed some live action stuff that was then on the old cd-rom you know like in 1998 so it was just like so in-depth which is what we love doing you know just getting our teeth into a a, a film and making the definitive version of it do you find that with the bigger studio productions just because they're presumably better at archiving camera nags but then also they have like a marketing spend they do interviews at the time that kind of stuff is there a is your job made easier by the presence of archive material or is it do you enjoy going out and finding the the newer stuff more um you know it it's it can be really hard getting studios to dig down into their archives and 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 get you stuff we were quite lucky with uh waterworld they just gave us this digibeta tape which just had loads of 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 good stuff on it like b-roll and all TV spots, radio spots, trailers, and 
behind this kind of EPK thing, which had interviews with people on set. Often that's not the case. And I do love producing new extras, actually, as well. Um, I, I really love producing new extras when it's an obscure film and the, the, the director might not be around that longer or some of the start, the people were kind of, this is a one, one, a one chance to get this person on camera and yeah, tell yeah. their story about this film. In fact, I would say that's my favourite thing about doing this job, really. I do enjoy working on big films like Crimson Peak and Waterworld, but they're going to, one way or another, have pretty good Blu-ray editions anyway. I love taking stuff from complete obscurity, which might not have been seen since VHS, which might never otherwise get a nice restoration from original film elements or the story of that film told. That kind of taking something from obscurity and giving it the loving special edition restoration and Blu-ray treatment uh, kind of is my um, what I get my kicks from in this job. So we chatted ahead of time and uh, we were talking about a recent uh, release that you produced, mm. uh, Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, finding your source materials for that and how you came to be involved with that particular title. Yeah, I mean, Iguana with the Tongue of Fire is a good case in point in that basically it's, let's say, a, a giallo movie, which is my genre of that I'm really fascinated in and have always loved and uh, I'm a bit obsessed with. Uh, it's a giallo film that's never really had a good crack of the whip. It's an oddity within the, the, the genre, I would say, in that it basically... Well, firstly, let's talk about the fact that it's never had even a halfway decent DVD release. No. It's, it, there was some crappy German version doing the rounds a while back, but it was from a just god-awful master, and that was years ago anyway. Apart from that, maybe a couple of VHS editions, very sketchy ones back in the day, but certainly not a good edition. And secondly, it's sort of... It, it's not seen as one of the greats of the genre. It's like all the hallmarks are there in terms... You know, it's got a a funky title, Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. <laughs> it's actually directed by um, Ricardo Frida, who we know is, of course, respected as one of the important Italian genre film directors. You know, made films like The Horrible Dr. Hitchcock and yeah. uh, The Ghost, classic kind of gothic, Italian gothic horrors, and a whole wealth of other films, you know, back before them, which saw him seen as quite a major Italian commercial cinema director. Yeah, it's quite a sleazy title for him, really. It is, and he made a few sleazy titles, which I actually have a, quite an affection for towards the end of his career. Not only The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, another t Italian horror film called um, Tragic Ceremony, which is a sort of... I've not seen that. It's, it's bonkers. It's, it's, it's got some mental stuff in it. It's got actually got... Kamal Keaton, the, yeah. the girl from um, uh, I Spot in Your Grave, in yeah. it. Uh, she made a couple of films in Italy in oh, the wow. early 70s. She did a What Have You Done to Solange as well, the, yes. the giallo. That's pretty much my favourite giallo. Exactly. Solange. One of the best of the genre. But she turns up in that. And then he, his last film was this thing called Murder Obsession, which from 1980, which has got a giant rubber spider in it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, pretty grade Z. You know, it's kind of Bruno Mattei sort of level. Oh, nice. Well, but very, it's got an awesome electronic score. It's, it's got a lot in it. But let's say, yeah, Iguana sits within Frida's slightly slapdash latter tail end of his career. Yeah. But it should have been big. I mean, it's like a, a good cast. It's got Valentina Cortese, who was like a top Italian star, you know. Yeah. Um, it's got Anton Diffring, is it? Who's in, you know, a character actor who of, of high caliber in things like Where Eagles Dare and uh, the, the Hammer film, the, the Man Whose Face Melts. I can't remember what the hell the film is called now, but it's a classic. And, you know, it's uh, co-production. It's filmed on location. Luigi Pistilli turns up in quite a prestigious Italian sort of actor. But somehow it didn't add up into what we might call a quality giallo <laughs> experience. It added up into something which is just bonkers, full of uh, crazy red herrings, extreme violent gore scenes. It's, yeah, it's got some of the best throat cuts yeah, of, uh, of, of like golden era giallo. Yeah, and they're, they're sort of accompanied by a sort of gushing waterfall sound, like yes. your pipes are broken in your... The sound bathroom. design in it is crazy. The uh, the the constant like smash chords whenever you see a pair of sunglasses. Or, yes, <laughs> yes. Which is pretty much every scene. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think like Iguana basically isn't what we might say like a, 
a premium jalo. It's it's like pure jalo excess. It's like taking all the signifiers of the jalo genre and dialing them up to twelve. It's accidentally a... taking a mouthful of cordial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It, it, it's it's sort of. It's completely, it's like they just didn't give a shit about the plot. I mean, the plot is just red herrings, red herrings, red herrings, which doesn't amount to any motive or anything like that. It, it's Most of the red herrings are completely circumstantial and are mm. only lent an air of importance by that sound that they use, yeah. the chord. Like yeah. every now and then they'll be like, the, the, without saying it, they're like, look, see, it could be this person. Totally. <laughs> and And the red herrings are thrown around so wildly, it's like, even the even the doctor that stitches up the kind of oh yeah the amazing top of the head stage, yeah. yeah starts like sort <laughs> of yeah he's what's the line he says uh, he's like the doctor's asking him about whether or not the person could be recognised mm. and he's like no <laughs> I'd say they're completely unrecognisable the killer did a perfect job yeah just like me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> while sort of smirking yeah in admiration at the camera yeah <laughs> it's very odd. Um, but, you know, I think if you're into something like Jally, Jallo films, like, um, for me at least, like, it's not just about seeing the top tier of absolute golden greats, the Sergio Martino's, the Dario Argento's, Lucio yeah, yeah. Fulci's finest works from that era. Um, I love that sort of uh, sleazy underbelly of lesser known, um, rather dubiously, sometimes nasty films you know things like in the folds of the flesh the killer has returned a real you know delirium renato Pulselzi's work there's this whole kind of your jello of venezia yeah um, <laughs> yeah like a whole world of of sort of grim grim films with stuff like giallo venezia mm. i mean i can't imagine that would get an unrate like an uncut release in the uk now it's so nasty yeah um just yeah. does that factor into the, your consideration as to how viable a project is like because i miss you know you don't want to release you want to be able to say it's uncut you want to be able to release the, a definitive edition mm. is there stuff that's out of your reach do you feel um i don't know with jelly i mean maybe that one yeah um that that would probably i think the the uh, sexualized violence in that might prove too much of an affront to the BBFC. And that might be the case for a couple of other really uh, grim jelly. There's, there's one in the 80s, The Killer Has Returned, which is super, super obscure. I don't think I've seen it. But that's got a very, very nasty sort of... It, it's crotch stabbing, which is a horrible two words to put together, but that seems to be a sort of returning motif in... In some jelly, it's, which it's is an easy shock, isn't it? Yeah, is that post uh, New York Ripper? Yeah, of course. Well, no, actually, um, it turns up in a in a <laughs> in a few films. I think it almost sort of it's obviously in some ways quite a misogynistic genre, and I think that as an act sort of exemplifies, exemplifies yeah. the misogyny of the genre, which is kind of awful, really. Uh, but I think films that have that in, I mean, might pose a real problem to the BBFC. But I don't know. It's a lot of j jelly actually seem quite, quite tame uh, when you watch them today. And I remember when they were being published by the likes of Redemption Films yeah. back in the days, they would be films like My Dear Killer or various others seem to be cut by the BBFC. And nowadays they sell through as a 15 or an 18. Almost, well, I actually think the BBFC had a real grudge against Nigel Wingrove and oh, Redemption. Oh, yeah. Well, he was, the thing is, with, with the covers he was doing as well, he was definitely mm. ramping up the sexuality of the project. He so was. when it's full of violence as well, yeah. those are not happy bedfellows as far as the BBFC is concerned. No, it's the, 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 the blurring of the boundaries between sex yeah. and violence, yeah. And then the other thing was, and this may not be the case, this is merely something I heard, but I heard that they'd often submit a cut version to the BBFC sort of preemptively trimmed at Redemption mm. so they could put uncut by the BBFC <laughs> on the front cover because it was better to release it slightly yeah. trimmed and guarantee that the BBFC themselves didn't cut it so they could use that slightly tricky phrase than yeah. to submit it, get three seconds cut out of it and then not be able to say it's uncut. I don't know. I don't know whether the <laughs> Redemption did that. I actually worked at Redemption for uh, a, really? a, a couple of years, yeah, with Nigel, yeah. He's a good friend of mine. We certainly weren't doing anything like that at that stage. But, um, I apologise. No, no, it's quite all right. Um, I mean, I salute him for uh, his work in the 90s. You know, like he was the first really to publish a lot of these films in widescreen 
just get them coming out, you know, properly, mm. like, uh, you know, stuff like Jess Franco and all these yeah, Jally. Yeah, first, first Franco's I saw were Redemption. Jean Roland, yeah. who is an absolute legend, yeah. director. I love Jean Roland's work. Um, Mark of the Devil, you know, Nigel was there first doing a lot of these. And of course, time's passed and we've ended up doing bigger and better special editions at different places. But he, his, he was very important with those publishing in that era. I yeah. Think. yeah, and I remember when I discovered that there were Dutch releases... Mm. Uh, Redemption Holland Benelux yeah, which, called, yeah. which were, were the genuinely uncut versions as yes. well and it's like oh my goodness these exactly. are now someone's putting out decent editions and they're uncut yeah exactly quality. Exactly. so back to Iguana I just think it's a mad excessive over the top it's 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 obviously got all the signifiers of a classic jello yeah. you know the black glove killer the gory death scenes the the crazy animal title which I think they're actually, as Richard Dyer, the um, esteemed academic, um, mentions in his excellent extra feature on the release, surely they're talking about chameleons, because chameleons are the ones who can change their um, <laughs> their appearance, not iguanas. So yeah, even the title's a, 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 a head fuck, you a, know. A mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, that's it. I think some of the, uh, you know, as the... the the Italian subgenre pattern is mm. something makes massive bank, and now there are millions. Like just everyone's pumping these things out, yeah. especially as yeah. you say, this is in uh, the director's latter day period. Mm. He's put at, uh, potentially less artistically involved mm. or committed to these projects. It's and of course, extent. he doesn't sign it with his own name. He he signs it Willy Pareto, which is a so. Do you think? But do you think it was was it released as Willy Pareto in Italy, or was that just a? Yeah, I think often... he wasn't happy with how it came out, from what okay. I understand, and, and and signed it with, with a pseudonym. But because um, I know a lot of the Italians had English sounding or American sounding pseudonyms for for the international release, mm. just as the dual dubs were a thing yeah. for international market. All you know, like John Morgan and you know being Giovanni Lamberto Adiz yeah. is the one that always comes to mind. Yeah. These very very Italian names, and then these like super super American sounding names, although sometimes sounding a bit wrong, like not actually sounding like very American names Definitely. at all. Yeah, it's interesting if he he tried to distance himself from it. it like, I don't want to sound like I'm talking down about the film because I really enjoy it. Um, but it, everything about it smacks of a cash grab. Oh yeah, it's definitely <laughs> just. Uh, Obviously, there was a whole slurry of films made in the wake of the success of the of the bird with the crystal plumage and yeah, yeah. Argento's subsequent uh, animal films, uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet and Cat O' Nine Tails, and it, it, this is the kind of tail end of uh, trying to ride that that bandwagon. Yeah. I think, and this is it's like as as would often happen with Italian genre genre films. You know, the imitations start out quite conservatively. Yeah, and then by the end of the the, the rip off cycle, yeah, you get things that are just completely over the top, like desperate attempts to wring the last just bits of more and more extreme. I, I can't yeah. remember who it was said that the cycle tends to be uh, like a sort of a caricaturing of all of the tropes, getting bigger and more extreme and more crazy, which is kind of where Iguana sits. Yeah. And then eventually someone starts making comedy versions. And exactly. then the genre's dead. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any Italian comedy giallo, though. That's a good point. That's a good point. Like they've no, got into comedy spaghetti mm. westerns and comedy... Yeah, of course you had Bud Spencer, the, yeah, the, exactly. the, the, the westerns, which kind of was the death knell in that genre. Uh, in the giallo... the Providencia movies are quite fun. <laughs> yes, yes. The giallo, the way that went was actually... The next cycle was, of course, the Italian police films, the yeah. Policio Teshi. yeah. yeah, yeah. And they started merging with that. So you got films like Suspicious Death of a Minor. Amazing. Yeah, Sergio Martino and Blazing Magnums, uh, Alberto De, Ma yeah, De Martino yeah. and various other films. Even What Have You Done to Your Daughters, uh, the Dalamano. Yeah, it's which, kind of a jump across yeah, from one genre to the other in a, in a, a franchise almost, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that, that's the kind of way that particular subgenre kind of came to an end. And I think, yeah, I think Iguana is just like, it, it should have been quite a prestigious production, but something went wrong somewhere in the process and it didn't turn out how everyone expected, but there's still a lot of pleasure to be had in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I very much enjoyed it. So when you, when you have something like that, uh, like that title, you obviously you were saying it's, it's been 
almost elusive up until mm. this point. There's not really been a good addition. How do you go about sourcing? Did, did someone br say, oh, we've got the nag here, you can have this, and that's why it got into catalogue, or did you have to um, go hunting? Well, actually, like when I joined Arrow, which was a couple of years ago, I kind of brought my interest with me. And I brought, uh, we Arrow's obviously had a, already a, a, a great, published some really, really, you know, definitive editions of, of some Jallo, but some Jally. But I came along with a few suggestions of more obscure stuff that it would be cool to do. The first of which was a really awesome film called Death Smiles on a Murderer, oh, which yeah. is, yeah, Joe D'Amato's only film he ever signed with his own name, Aristade Maticesi, probably wrong pronunciation, but it's like a really dreamlike gothic, return to the gothic, really, really cool film. And then another one was a, a film called Luigi, by Luigi Bazzoni, who did The Fifth Chord, uh, which was really great, Franco Nero Jello, called The Possessed. It's like an early, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very arty sort that of... That got released on Academy, didn't it? Uh, it could have been. It didn't. It, it almost looked like an Academy release. Yeah. It was on video, but it sort of straddles the... It's, it's part Antonioni, part oh, sort of Mario Bava. It's a very, very nice, like all Bazzoni's films, visually stunning film. And uh, another one that I suggested we get was Iguana. And then we thought it was with one Italian rights holder. And then it turned out it was with someone else who was even easier to deal with. So we just right. did a license and then... And they, uh, had, they had the... Yeah, the, the that's the great thing about these Italian, Italian rights holders. There's a few of them. And they, 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 they have preserved all the original film elements well of their films in, in various archives in Italy. And we accessed the original negative usually or if not a, another preprint element and we do our own restoration which will either be in 2k or 4k uh, our head of technical james white is best in the business at doing these new restorations so that's always very rewarding i think seeing a new transfer you know in on the blu-ray you know from the original neg seeing the film like it's never been seen do before. they let the neg out the archive to scan yeah or do you have yeah to we take it, it to a facility oh, nice. we'll often get it scanned in italy and then get the the raw data over here and then do a, a kind of a level of digital restoration here to yeah. you know and grading it here or sometimes we do all the work out in italy but um it's sometimes hard because there's a cost attached to that, and these Jally films, Jallo films, uh, obviously have a limited audience. But we we really try and make it work, you know, to present the film as absolutely good as we can and create as many awesome special features. How did you feel sitting down and watching the new cleaned up version of Iguana, seeing it presumably in good quality for the first time for you as yeah, well? Yeah, totally excited because it's just such an odd little obscurity and the idea that we we must be mad going back to <laughs> restoring that. No one in their right mind would do that. No, no. We, we, it's, it's exciting for me for something which is so off the map to get such good, you know, technical presentation. And also, I, I think the film is really interesting in, in that it's a Jallo um, filmed in, in Dublin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know normally Jallo, Jallo films are like in some super glamorous location where it's sunny and there's like high fashion and everything like that and just like you know island dublin i mean lovely place i'm sure but it's somehow an unlikely jallo I, I, I don't know i wonder that i think that there's uh there's often the italian films often end up in a, a place where you're like who told them that this was it's like living dead in manchester morgue <laughs> yeah like yeah manchester that's where yeah. we're gonna shoot that's our international glamorous location uh, i love actually just on that topic I really love the way Italians kind of render the their version of England. You know, whenever oh, they shoot, yeah. there's like a great jello, cold eyes of fear, and it's a great um, or lizard of woman's skin. Like you're seeing kind of this um, accentuated version of London, of hippie London, or whatever. Or like you say, the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, like the kind of Yorkshire countryside yeah. takes on a special <laughs> magic. And it's definitely the same, I think, with um, Iguana, actually. Like, yeah. You sort of get this rendering of Dublin and Ireland. I think there's some stuff like, looks like it's up by the Giant's Causeway or something, I don't know, but on the coast. Oh, and yeah, those, really nice. those high shots down over yeah. the cliff. Just yeah. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's very special because they're filming it like they film Italy as well. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it. They somehow film it in a way that a British filmmaker wouldn't with this sort of more romantic aspect, which is cool, I think. That's really nice. As you know, on the podcast, uh, we do recommendations based on the film. 
I'm going to ask you to start uh, with with a, a recommendation for someone who uh, who has seen and enjoyed uh, Iguana with a Tongue of Fire. Well, within our own catalogue, I would definitely recommend some of the other excellent jelly we've published. I guess, let's say, if you like Iguana, but you want something a bit more slick, you know, <laughs> Case of the Scorpion's Tail. Yeah, gorgeous. Sergio Martino ones, you know. Incredible uh, locations as well. Yes, Athens, or, yeah. Yeah, Greece, yeah, yeah, that one. But that, does, that has some stuff in England as well, doesn't it? Uh, oh shit! Yeah, it starts. Yeah, it, starts it starts in England starts with in like England, down yeah. by Hammersmith Bridge, yeah. I think. Like yeah, yeah. So lots of uh, very snazzy-looking, fashionable Britain. Yeah, again, it's great. again, it's like somehow the the capturing of London is just so cool in that film. That's uh, a great movie. Um, and then, well, another film we've got coming up that beautifully renders. Well, let's talk about Jallo and location for a bit. We, one that. Is a really I've never been to Australia, but like the Pajama Girl case beautifully oh, captures Sydney. Absolutely fucking wonderful. Yeah. One of my favourite soundtracks. Yes, Richard Talani. Yeah. yeah, I have uh, have an original vinyl. Oh, do you? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, it's such a such a great film. Exactly. And um, well, another one we've got coming up is one of the more artistic, sophisticated jelly, I would say. Um, Who saw her die by Aldo Lardo, yeah, yeah. which depicts uh, Venice in a in a beautiful way and which kind of foreshadows don't um, don't look now yeah I think. very much it, it manages to make the, the the canal streets feel very claustrophobic yeah it does it's, yeah that's a great does. film so they're all recommendations of slightly more posh jello <laughs> <laughs> jelly which um, I would recommend if, if you like the sort of um, the the more uh, the the grim underbelly of the jello I would really recommend films like uh, Renato Polzelzi's uh, Delirium, which yeah. is one we've released. Sergio Bergonzelli's In the Folds of the Flesh. Which I've not seen. Uh, that's a real crazy one. The Killer Has Reserved Nine Seats, <laughs> which is a, a very obscure but really, really good one. I'd go so far, not to in any way rain in your parade, I'd say that has a better soundtrack and poster than the film possibly merits, but it is yeah. still a very enjoyable yeah, entry I mean, that's into a, that's the Jello canon. That's a deep cut. Yeah. That's a deep cut. And I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but... I, I enjoy Nine Seats, though. I've got a soft spot for it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's sort of that um, Ten Little Indians, Agatha Christie yeah. story played out, which is always a fun one. you know. And it's got a scene where someone has their hand nailed to a post yeah. in a rather grim jello gore moment uh so <laughs> well, that's yeah. on the that's on the old italian poster that it the, is the, yeah the hand to the post it is yeah yeah so they're all ones i mean i'm a jello nut i could just watch these things all day you oh, know. that's good stuff well i'm i because uh, i follow the rules <laughs> i've only got two that i was going to recommend i thought as a as a sort of a latter-day sleazier giallo i think i may have recommended this on the podcast before but maybe i've just mentioned it and then maybe i haven't mentioned it and i've just tried to tell mike he should uh he should push for it um but it's your die at midnight oh yeah, um, okay. which is uh an astonishing yeah i've not seen uh, it latter day giallo yeah. from uh the barva junior lambato um yeah. if you do get it if you do track it down as an extra feature mm. please track down the english subtitles from the german dvd oh right because they are Fucking terrible, right, <laughs> but okay. they add a level of delirious comedy to the film. Brilliant! That is a whole extra level of enjoyment. I don't want to explain quite why I love that film so much, other than the hilarious subtitles mm. that are on the version I saw. Um, what, what era is that? Is that because uh, oh, that's I'm later? Yeah, wondering that's whether like it's eighty-seven, like eighty-six. Like yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a. Um, I like his uh, jelly. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun and it's, it's delirious. It's did, very over the top. It's the other one, other one he did like photos of. Goya or something like that's called. It's like a fashion oh, set I don't one. Know photos of Goya. Delirium photos of Goya, not Pelzezzi's Delirium, no. another one. And then of course, uh, a blade in the dark is always yeah. a fun it's one. Great, really fun. well-made uh, slasher giallo. Yeah, he kept the torch burning, Lambato. In yeah, the, he the really tough did. Times of the eighties. Yeah, and they, uh, but there, yeah. So uh, you know. Who else did? Who else was doing it? You got people like Al Fester. <laughs> yeah, Fatal Frames. Stuff. Oh my God, Fatal Frames. God. Is, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's actually a, one I'd really like for us to do. Uh, it's a kind of complete Brian De Palma ripoff. It's called Nothing Underneath by a guy called Carlo Venezia. I don't know that one. And he also did a film called Mystery, which has Carol Boucher from uh, For Your Eyes Only in oh, it, wow, okay. and that's like a sort of spy Jallo hybrid. And then Nothing Underneath is just pure Brian De Palma ripoff. And it even reuses the um, Pino Donaggio's d 
music from Body Double. So um, he's he, oh, fuck. the, the okay, telescope yeah. theme. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. he reuses that. So that's a really nice Italian sort of. It's a bit like you know that nice thing where the Italians were obviously influenced. No, the American. Well, firstly, the Italians were influenced by like Psycho and everything like yeah. that. Then the um, Americans, Brian De Palma and what is influenced by the Italians, and then the Italians are then influenced back by Brian De Palma. Yeah, so it's yeah. this nice kind of exchange of influences. Yeah, I guess that happened with the Westerns as well, didn't it? Like, it's oh, often yeah. with the the Italian stuff, there's that st- stylistic back and forth. Big time, Refiltration. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. So, obviously, you went through uh, a fair few there, but mm. um, do you have any other specific, ti- like, sort of related titles to Iguana that to you'd Iguana. like to recommend? Um, I'd recommend, as a nice companion piece, uh, Ricardo Frido's other film from that era, Tragic Ceremony, which I've talked about earlier. And just other great lesser-known jally from the the era, really. Um, definitely, uh, well, I mean, if you haven't seen the Fulci jally, then they're essential. Lizard in a woman's skin. Don't torture a duckling. Yeah, yeah. One on top of the other. A.K.A. Perversion story. Yeah. A trilogy of absolute classics. Amazing films. Uh, I just picked up uh, an American release of Perversion story. Ah, uh, really? Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, I must get that film. because it's cool and it's it's different somehow to the excessive sort of stuff that he would Yeah, it's much more restrained. Yeah, nicely crafted. Which leads us very nicely into my second uh, contextual Mm. recommendation, uh, which is Knife of Ice. Oh, okay. 72 Lenzi. Lenzi, yeah, with Carol Baker. Yeah, Yeah, so Lenzi, not a name you'd normally associate with restraint. No. (laughs) And Knife of Ice is still pretty... I must, you know, I'm going to have to disagree with you here, Dan. I've never liked Knife of Ice. Don't like Knife of Ice. Yeah, I mean, I like... Umberto Lenzi's, he did those sort of so sweet, so perverse, yeah. orgasmo paranoia, those yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of more Cluzo style yeah. um, pre Argento Jalli. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah. them. And I really like Eyeball, which yeah. is a bonkers yeah, rip yeah, off yeah, of the cool. Argento style, very trashy. But Knife of Ice just always seemed a little bit non-eventful for me. Like it's yeah, it's again, it's not the it's not absolute top tier. Giallo, and I'm deliberately going for stuff that's less likely yeah. to have been seen. But I think it looks amazing. Yeah. And I, as as a more restra- if you're not going to Giallo specifically for you know the the incredible slow throat cutting yes. close-ups, which <laughs> is a totally justifiable reason to go to Giallo. Yeah. I think it's a it's a nice little slightly slower paced uh, murder mystery. Yeah. Done in the Italian style. Yeah, sure. So Maybe that, I need yeah. to revisit it. Yeah, give it another go. It's also, <laughs> also, I'm just justifying it to myself because it's one of the most expensive discs I've ever bought. Really? Shit, so I, I didn't even know it was out on disc. But, oh no, I'm just DVD. But right, but right. back when I remember, I got um, I got that and a and a very early DVD of um, a Death Laid an Egg ah, from well, Japan. I'm glad you mentioned Death Laid an oh, Egg. It's a masterwork because the films of Giulio Questi are very special to me I, I oh. love uh, Diango Kill I love Death Lays an Egg I li- love um, Arcana uh, one day that latter one will hopefully come out um, but Death Lays an Egg is just a, a unique giallo oh, within gorgeous. the genre isn't it it's well, it's, but it's an art film mm. that happens to be a giallo yes. like it's yeah. not it, it, mm. it, it almost feels like they acquiesced to it being a giallo mm. to get it made but what yeah. they wanted to make was an art definitely film. well Questy was quite the radical he was a political yeah. radical and I think the film was a kind of commentary on capitalist practices and consumerism and all this sort of stuff, yeah, isn't yeah. it? As, as well as being a, a great giallo. And it's cool that it's got like Jean-Louis Trintignant in, who's more of a sort of Itali- uh, French art house filmmaker, made all those great films with Alan Rob Grier. So it's that nice sort of um, hybrid between uh, art house and genre. You know, I love that sort of grey area yeah. crossover between them. Like some of Elio Petri's sort of stuff is, it sits there as well. And, yeah, I just think that's a very fascinating. The, um, you know, the sort of where the lowbrow meets the highbrow is an interesting area in Italian cinema of that era. I think. Yeah, yeah. There are some. There are some nice editions of it out. I think the English blue oh, is yeah. uh, hands down the, the best. Films Not one. only that, but also longer than any of yes, the other versions as yes. well. Yes. They. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm actually on the special features for that. Are one. you? Yeah. Well, you just goes to show I haven't watched everything yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, I just, it was the first thing like that I'd ever done, and I was all nervous about it. So it's not a very good extra, in my opinion. But great addition in general. Oh, just a beautiful addition. Yeah. So obviously, we also recommend things we've we've been watching recently, not necessarily a, a, attached to the the film that we've uh, we've been discussing. Um, have you have you caught anything great recently? 
Um, I, I'd like to just away from the Jallo genre. Um, I've been watching some cool uh, gothic romance stuff. I watched Dragon Wick, which is a really, really awesome gothic romance, which was actually an influence on uh, Del Toro when he made Crimson Peak. Nice. That was really cool. And a, a British gothic crime film, which is just really awesome, called Footsteps in the Fog from the early 50s with Stuart Granger. I really, really they're, they're the other, outside of my fascination with Jallos, they're the other sort of things I've been watching at the moment. Nothing new, I'm afraid to say. That's I'm very right. bad at watching new films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, when I was in uh, Toronto, I was lucky enough to get over to the TIFF uh, theatre. So I've seen, a, uh, seen some newer stuff. But uh, yeah, I got to catch uh, Zhang Zhimou's new oh, new wow. picture, Shadow, okay. at the Bell Lightbox in Toronto. Wow. Uh, I saw it early in the morning because we were shooting like splits again. For for those of you not in the know, splits are like a sort of a half day shoot, half night shoot. So you start later in the day and then go into the night for filming. And um, I think on the very last day of filming on Possessor, uh, I wasn't called to set until after lunch, so I had a morning free, and I hadn't managed to see Shadow yet. I've been meaning to to get to see it, so I went and got it in got in the first nice. screening of the day <laughs> before nice. I went, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Really, it's, yeah, it's a it's a real return to form. Okay, uh, wow. for him, uh, as far as his Waxier stuff goes, it's it's a delight. Okay, um, so how far away from a theatrical or release is that do you think is it a I long way off I think that's not I mean it was, it was it's a standard theatrical in Canada now. oh, I oh think it is okay, yeah right. it actually was made like, it came out it sort of ran the festival circuit last year oh, okay. um, I think we're primed for a UK release very shortly I think oh, cool, if it's nice. not out by the time this, this airs it'll be out in the next couple, in the next few weeks I think definitely um, keep an eye out for that it's an interesting one it's formatted it's structured for the first half it's almost structured more like a Japanese martial arts film there's a lot of talking and character work mm. and not a huge amount of fighting um, although there's some there's some very nice uh, are some very nice sort of training sequences in it and then the last sort of like third I guess is just fucking non-stop like classic waxier stuff but with modern budget and and trickery okay. and a little bit of digital blood aside it is gorgeous they've done oh, a wow. really beautiful job of making that film just look amazing okay um it's almost black and white except skin tones and blood okay wow um, that sounds nice but it's all because it's all black silks and black rock and white water and it's just, it's just beautiful Okay. Yeah, really, really worth checking out. Lovely. Wow. Uh, anything else you've uh, you've caught caught recently, new or old? Well, old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, new wise, I've I've loved working and watching Lords of Chaos, which of course you work on. That's an absolutely fascinating story and a great great film. Yeah, I don't feel I've been plugging that nearly enough on the podcast. We should yeah. definitely remind everyone of that. I've been every single episode. Right, okay. I've, I've I'm only, it's just the only new thing I've watched. I'm just so terrible. I'm just an old fuddy-duddy. I just watch old stuff. But <laughs> I love. I do love Lords of Chaos, and it's been fun to watch. Um, how many times do you have to watch a film like that? When you're, when you're work, mastering a disc mm. like that, how many times do you reckon you see a film from acquisition all the way through to distro? Well, actually... At Arrow, not so many because we have such an excellent QC process and a QC team who say a film's got like three audio streams on it, they'll diligently go through and watch all the audio streams, nice. the commentaries and everything else. But in my old life, previous life at the BFI where I worked for a long time, there we did all did the producers did all their own QC and I would watch stuff over and over again. But I would say I probably watch something three or four times through nowadays. That's not so crushing. That's all right. I really you know, some of the additions we've done have had just abs- I've done have like had absolutely hours and hours of extra features, and I really like to spend time with the disc from top to bottom before I sign it off. Like watching all the interviews, commentary, everything, just because I don't know. It's it's uh, just want to make sure it's all okay. I have a I have a question for you. Uh, you can name names if you want. You absolutely don't have to. I remember one of the things about DVD when it first happened was Easter eggs. Oh yeah. Now, I know that you have a couple of uh, pretty amazing Easter eggs hidden out there, but you never really advertise them on the right. Arrow discs. What yeah. percentage of discs do you think have something that's worth rooting around for? I think it's... Uh, um, I don't know, to be honest, in across the whole catalogue, but I, I think it is a... Uh, 
they're in a rare find. A rare find. But yes, but worthwhile one. Well, if you find one, yeah. given some You're of making things... me think I need to bury a few little special things oh, on Oh, please, yeah, we need a, definitely need a return to, to the Easter egg. Yeah. Like, whether it's just little things where you get like a little bit of B-roll that isn't visible mm. anywhere else, if you, you know, just press left when you yeah. wouldn't expect to be able to, then those are quite nice. Yeah. But then you get the big grandiose ones. I remember the uh, American uh, special edition of T2 that came out where if you typed in the date of the apocalypse on one of the menu screens using the buttons on your remote, it played the alternate ending. Oh, my God. And it wasn't visible anywhere else on the disc. That's awesome. What an amazing special yeah. feature. Wow. And that must have been a studio who, who yeah. did that. So hats off, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I wonder if it... Yeah, it was, oh, it was that, amazing. That sort of stuff's cool. I think, you know, like, um, you know, this is why physical media is still... I love it, you know, yeah. because there's a chance to not only curate or program or produce something with loads of care and tell the whole story around the film and and do that, but also there's a chance to do all these little nice idiosyncratic sort of things, you know, which, like, if everything's just up there in a cloud being streamed, we, we lose all that, you know, you lose that chance to to give something some character and, and love, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so there, there you go. More, more, ex more secrets, please. More yes. Easter eggs. <laughs> I'll... Uh, I'll Pass the message on to the team. Yeah, awesome. My my other recommendation uh, from recent watches is, I mean, I hope that I don't annoy my um, uh, our regular listeners by by how often I dip to back to the Z Eagle, my uh, my Chinese video jukebox. But right. after watching uh, Shadow, I uh, I immediately went. Uh, well, not immediately because I had to go to work. But after that, uh, I went home and I watched The Bells of Death uh, from nineteen sixty eight. Oh, cool. uh, a, a fantastic Shaw Brothers uh, oh, right. sort of tragedy revenge waxier. Oh, it's great! I can't say I know the film. Super, but... uh, super Shakespearean. Oh, right, uh, right. It's uh, there's a, a a little group of baddies who are being protected by uh, by people they work for who do quite a lot of kidnapping, um, but just a lot of murder for fun. The movie follows a, a young man whose uh, sister has been kidnapped and whose family have been uh, who've been murdered who ends up sort of quite early on rescues a young woman who was kidnapped by the same team who sort of joins him in his quest for revenge. And it's a uh, their sort of doomed journey to... Wow. Or semi-doomed journey to go and retrieve his sister and put these men to, to rights. Right. Um, and by Sounds rights, a bit I mean... Searchers a sword. inspired. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, it, it's... Searchers... If Searchers started with... A, uh, the bad guys watching a woman run away from the house they've just killed everyone in oh, right. and then uh, one of them pulls out a bow and takes requests on where he should shoot her with the arrow before okay. eventually just shooting her through the head oh. with an enormous arrow oh my god okay. it's an astonishing film great yeah I've got to watch that one yeah you'd really like it is that out anywhere or um, I think it's probably one of those ones it's um so there is a dedicated legal streaming service mm. of Shaw Brothers, uh, the Celestial Shaw Brothers Pictures, okay. uh, and I think it's in that ca uh, catalogue. I don't know if it's had uh, a physical media release yet. I'm sure it's one of the ones that people like 88 or someone who have, the, have their eye on. Mm. Um, I'm hoping, uh, not because I want to deprive 88 of anything, but just because I want them to come out faster. Mm. Um, I'm hoping someone will start competing for those titles yeah. so that we start getting a, a, a bit of a race for them because yeah. there's so many just amazing wow. films out there. Um, Sounds like a bit of an untapped... Vein. Oh, just incredible stuff. But as um, as regular, I don't know if you know about this, uh, our regular listeners will know, there's this machine, this sort of holy grail machine called the Z-Eagle, Z-I-I Eagle. And it was released in China, um, I guess it must have been like 10 years ago or something. But it's a, it's a video jukebox. It's just a shiny red box with an HDMI out and a power, li power lead and that's it. And it's just got every Shaw Brothers film. Really? It's every Celestial Shaw Brothers. It's like 668 films, something like that, wow. on there. You go in and they're, uh, they're catalogued by genre, but, mm. or like, but then you can go from each page, you can go to just ones directed by that director or just ones with that star. Right. There's like little playlists, little theme sections on there. Mm. The alphabetization is garbage for English language mm. speakers because they're not alphabetized by the English title. But, um, but you can go in by, by year, by decade, uh, by yeah, by subgenre, whatever. So martial arts, fantasy, horror, uh, modern crime. It's got all the crazy stuff, all the restrained historical epics. It's wow. Yeah, they're amazing. If you can track one down, they're wow. a. So that was something delight. they officially just. That was an official release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just give away our whole library. Yeah, but but very limited edition and not particularly cheap. Uh, okay. <laughs> 
Uh, and I don't know anyone who's uh, yeah, they're they're quite hard to get the films off if you don't want to just watch them. Right. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah. interesting model. I don't know anyone else who's really yeah. pursued. It, it, I don't think it did very well. Like I don't think people were willing to buy them. <laughs> they right. Were, they were expensive. Yeah. yeah. It, it, very cheap if, on a per film basis, mm. but still almost daunting having quite expensive the whole output of a yeah it a remembers what you've studio. watched which is nice ah, it's because right. it's all it's got an internal operating system right. so it's but the other thing is it's just a hard drive like if that gets knocked it's dead yeah. it's terrifying yeah. wow yeah i love it i admire <laughs> their sort of um ambition doing that but like yeah, it's I mean, you've got to remember run 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 passed away only a, a few years ago mm. and he was what, like 103 something like wow. that and obviously they've got a lot of he had many children to, mm. to leave, to bequeath to. But I think mm. they, they did quite well. I mean, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, it does seem like a slightly weird model, doesn't it? I mean, to, I to think it's cool it. in a way, but it's almost the opposite angle that I like to come at things from. You know, like in terms of, I, I like the idea of taking one film and really going to town and building up a whole special edition oh, around it rather absolutely. than sort of... But I get, I get the appeal, and I'm still buying mm. special editions of yeah. films that are on that set. Like, I'm, yeah. they're they're mostly, I think minimum they're seven, seven twenty. Uh, okay, yeah. Is that the right? Have I got the number 720, right? Seven twenty. That would be yeah. like yeah, HD ready sort of level. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven twenty progressive is the yeah. base level. Few of them are ten eighty. None of them are higher than ten eighty. Right. But uh, but it's you know they're they're pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and they've all got like good subtitles. There's none of that glass plate old uh, school like unwatchable. Yeah, like, I remember uh, when I was trying to hunt one down I'd often do a lot of trawling in the forums try, seeing uh, if sure. people had uh, you know someone maybe had one or had heard of mm. one going for sale or was alerting you to some like weird third party auction site that had one uh, and I, I would occasionally stumble across people complaining that they didn't have the dubs <laughs> that they only had the subtitled version uh, and I, I sympathise with that like there's some yeah there's charm some, in those dubs yeah, yeah there's a lot of charm in that so again like a uh, like I was saying, I want Arrow to start releasing the shitty VHS version of the films they release the lovely versions mm. of as an extra feature. Yeah. So you can watch them in the same quality you first saw them in. <coughs> yeah. If you want. I also feel that, that uh, I, I, 88 or similar should release the I mean, the I, I definitely, tracks. yes. Well, I mean, yeah, when we do it, these Italian horror or giallo yeah. or westerns or whatever, we always put the Italian and English on there because, of course, these were... Sp- the way these Italian films and indeed the um, uh, Run Run Shaw films and like Toho and all the films made in that part of the world, like they were post-synchronized sound anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah, post-synchronized yeah. sound. And, and certainly with the European stuff, like quite often there would be an international cast and, you know, it's not really like the English or the Italian is often definitive. Like yeah. on Iguana, for example, you can see that Valentina Cortese, Anton Durfering, mostly actors are all dubbing themselves in English, you know. Yeah. And the English, even though it's an Italian film, the English track is is more sort of legit than the Italian track, I think. I think I remember, I don't know who put it out, I remember an old um, DVD of Deep Red from years and years ago where they'd sort of spliced the mm. two audio yeah. tracks together so everyone was speaking their own language. So the Italian actors, yeah. they used the Italian dialogue. I, I think it was... to to do with the fact that the Italian theatrical release is much longer than the original American release and some of the the English dub had never actually been done for the English language version so to see it with David Hemming speaking his own (laughs) his own voice and whatever else to the longest English language cut you had to drop in the English sections which we've done on a couple of Arrow releases actually as well like where bits of dialogue are missing but um yeah, yeah, important to have both, I think. I think it's the old... Uh, I, I grumble about this occasionally. There's a uh, the cut and run. Oh, I think yeah. it's the... Is it Anchor Bay or Blue Underground, the old DVD of it? And on the back, they're like, no English language. Some scenes are represented in Italian because no English mm, language yeah. exists for those. So, no, the Japanese Exodus has those scenes in English. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they could have sourced yeah, them. Yeah, they could have sourced it. But ah, we still yeah, need... Even the, the even the Code Red uh, Blue of cut and run leaves a lot to be desired. I really, like, as soon as you get into the the, the, the stuff that's always used to be cut, like, you know, John Morgan's yeah. death and that kind of stuff, it, yeah. it, immediate drop in quality. Really? That's, yeah, it's oh, really disappointing. That's a shame, yeah. I mean, I imagine that stuff's in the original negs, so yeah, probably they, someone needs to go back to the neg. If they're findable. Some good gore scenes in that, if I remember. That's it's a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. But isn't there a bit where a guy gets tied between two trees? That's John then, Morgan. Ah, yeah, that's yeah, his yeah. death, right. Yeah, they, um, well, so... I am firmly of the belief that uh, that uh, Bone Tomahawk is a remake of 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of, of, uh, cut and run. It's I mean it's ostensibly the same same story, uh, yeah. story. It's just more racist than cut and run. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. by some margin. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I haven't seen Bone Tomahawk. Uh, so the uh, the noises the uh the the troglodyte uh, Native Americans mm. use to communicate with this sort of swazzle reed thing they've shoved down their throat is almost exactly the same as the audio cue from the opening credits of Cut and Run. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's astonishing how similar those films are. Wow, wow. Um, and obviously, it also has someone being split in half from the groin to the throat. Does it? Well, yes. that's if it's got that... Yep, there you go. Then that's a case closed. Case closed. Know? Case closed. Um, thank you so much for coming and joining me. It's been really, really nice to chat to you. No, cheers for having me. I've enjoyed it. Um, you've, uh, you've dropped the names of a, a good handful of giallos I've not seen, so I'm going to have to do some digging. Sure, yeah. Uh, and uh, and similarly, if you want to... Yeah, uh, thanks for the, the recommendations for... Uh, the, the, the Chinese yeah. stuff. Yeah, because like, yeah. that's not really an area of films I've massively dived into. So, oh, so I've always, fun, I kind of feel I'm, I'm on the brink. I need to dive in, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, uh, thank you again. Thank you. And uh, to our listeners... Oh, oh, do you, wanna, do you have a social media you want to drop? Do you want to do any of that? Uh, how do you mean, like, like you, you Twitter? Do you use Twitter? I, I, I don't. I, I don't really use or Twitter. I, don't, I tell you what, I'm in a. I'm in a. Met, I'm in a heavy metal band, and we just released a new album called uh, "The Inevitable War." We're called Amulet, and it's. I'm pretty proud of that. So maybe if people like music as well as crazy films, they might want to have a li listen to that. Oh, we didn't even talk about the soundtracks. Oh, Shit. Talk about the soundtracks. We'll have to do it another time. Yeah, yeah, because Iguana is actually, we did a You've vinyl edition vinyl of that of Iguana, with the same artwork, so yeah. that's nice actually, yeah, the fact that the artwork, there's a really nice vinyl edition out of Iguana to go with the, the Blu-ray, so, so yeah, the full suite, the two, full suite. Two albums, Inevitable yeah. War, Iguana yeah. Tongue of Fire. Stelvio <laughs> Cipriani's very classy <laughs> soundtrack to the Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, which is very smooth and kind of a little bit more posh than the actual movie it's great i think it's probably more famous than the film as well it's one that was turned up in compilations and stuff so yeah it's very nice melodies very film. very very easy on the ears and then some noisy heavy metal as well so <laughs> um i am as most of you know uh, at 13 finger fx on twitter and instagram um give me a follow uh thanks for listening and uh we promise to have sam back soon that's my promise now. He made fun of me for using his catchphrase <laughs> in his absence, so, uh, which I've only done once. Anyway, thank you. Bye-bye. See you later.